All right, this is episode two of the Sound and Church podcast. I looked for a few different names for some things that we could call this, and at this point in human history, most names for podcasts are taken. So we're just going to go with Sound and Church podcast for now. Hey, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's appropriate. Right? Let's go. All right. Well, how have you guys been this week? Good? I've been good. It's been busy. I've got a lot on my plate, but mm-hmm. how's it's your been week? Awesome. It's been really good. I like the weather now that Spring the wind's kind of chilling out. Yeah. Spring, spring break. Yep. It's good vibes all the way around. Feels nice. Uh, in Oklahoma, though, we do have all the tornadoes. So we're yep. we're ramping up for the reason why our weathermen are famous, mm-hmm. which is we're all glued to the TV. You can storms. learn a lot from watching the news, watching the weather. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like well, a like, lot. It's almost like our Super Bowl. Like mm-hmm. people like this gather around to watch the storms and how the weathermen react to them. I think it's, it's a fun. combination of what they say and their sparkly snazzy ties. Yeah. Mm. They just know we're going to be watching that stuff. I'm just surprised they can stay on and have something to talk about for literally like eight hours. Like they're on. So in that vein, we're going to do that today. We're going to go for an eight hour podcast. (laughs) Oh Lord. (laughs) Lord. All right. Well, I hope you're ready. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> Eight hours. <laughs> Here we go. And I'm not even wearing a tie. <clears throat> awesome. Um, well, I suppose we could start with some questions because last week um, I asked some people to to let us know, like, what would you like to hear on the podcast? What do you want to know about? Um, you know, take this opportunity with Jonathan here and Stuart having just a a massive amount of knowledge. I've got a little bit. But not as much as you guys. You guys have been doing this for a while. How long have you been doing this now? Have I been to a sound in church? Just audio production, like production stuff. In My general. goodness. Well, since about 2003. Wow. <clears throat> That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's it's like 2005-ish, 2006, something like that. That's great. A lot of XLR <clears throat> cables have been rolled with these hands. Yeah. Yes. Like a lot of XLR cables have been made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried to start doing this back in 2008, 2007. And the people I was working for were like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the job for you. But I'm glad I found a home with you guys. That I have definitely kind of grown into it. <laughs> that's the beauty is that like there's a calling on everybody. Mm-hmm. But just being, having the opportunity to be around people that kind of help bring that calling out. Right. Is good. I mean, like, how thankful are you that those guys were real? Yeah. And we're like, hey, this, you're not doing yeah. so hot. You know, and what's interesting about that is that I've 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 come back around to now, like, I've, you know, lived some life and, and approached this from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, whenever I was 19, I was probably looking at it more like I knew everything. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You, when you're 19, like, you know everything. Yeah, I know this. I know everything there is to know about sound. Yes. And the only thing I've ever used is the the PV like console from 1981 that was in my old youth room growing up. PV that, Mark IV. That I, that I ran a yeah. five-disc changer in and like played some worship songs on. That was That was my extent. And I thought going into like real production that I knew what I was doing. And then my first day I was like working in a major league baseball stadium going, I have no idea what I'm doing. Did you have a Gemini dual CD changer that had the Q set up? Yeah. 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 That's when you You know you made it. (laughs) You could program your, you could program your playlist with the five CDs that you had in the changer and you would have to like go in and like manually enter each one. Disc four. Exactly. Track three. So people don't know what that's like. Or like taking a cassette tape and putting it into, you know, the, the player, but it had a record function. Mm-hmm. And you could play the radio and record songs off of the radio. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was my childhood. That I was my it. childhood. I was I had my own little radio station. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and even better is if you had some CDs, but your car didn't have a CD player, you could 
take that tape and you could make a mixtape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that mixtape vein, I would call into the radio station. Yeah. And I would ask them to play, you know, make a request. And they would play that song and I would hit record and I would get those songs the way I wanted them. So my mixtape would be just what I wanted. <laughs> Changi's <laughs> mixtape. <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just being young, into music, like leaning into a passion like why am i why do i like this so much why am i pulled to music and i listen to everything i mean some of the stuff my mom probably wished wish that i didn't listen to but mm-hmm. i just was into music it was like what's it all sound like so i remember those days the mixtape days were those were clutch <laughs> did you make any mixtape Stuart? Yeah, I did. Actually, I would I would take like <clears throat> multiple CDs because I had I had like two like a I don't even remember. I don't, it was a Sony boombox of some sort, but I could play like a Garth Brooks album like like a Rope in the Wind or something. <laughs> Dude, that's a good album. And then, Garth and then <laughs> I love it. And then like but I would do weird stuff like <clears throat> I would do like, you know, I don't know some sort of yeah rope against the grain or something from from garth brooks on the rope in the wind uh, album but then the next song would be like take me to your leader from newsboys or something <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i'm extremely impressed with your knowledge of garth brooks album titles seriously that's my childhood i right think there. against the grain was the first track on that album pretty sure well i definitely remember shameless was on that record <laughs> <laughs> it's an inside joke for my family did you listen to that a lot? Well, I actually made a video, <laughs> a shameless video. I always thought it was cool because the Thunder Rolls, he played both parts, the bad guy and the good guy in the mm. music video. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty sweet. He always had a interesting disposition for personifying characters, either in the lyrics or with the Chris Gaines thing. You guys remember that? Oh, his like emo. It was like an thing. alter ego emo Garth with the yeah, hair. And he had like emo hair and everything. That was interesting. Did he bust any guitars in that? Because that was always my favorite part. Either either swinging out off the stage yes. or busting guitars. I'm feeling very nostalgic. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, speaking of mixtapes, like that was the video. Like that was a music TV awards. Like, ACM or something like that and I recorded that on VHS and rewatched that segment so many times <clears throat> swinging out over the audience and mm-hmm. then taking that Takamini and just <laughs> smashing it which is which is the best thing to do to a Takamini guitar yeah you don't want to play it i mean <laughs> you sound like snobs but we're really not you well you had the Takamini guitar where the sound hole looks like a guitar yes <laughs> And yeah, but like, I mean, maybe they were really cheap guitars. That's why he like trashed them all the time. I'm not really sure. But um, back to what you're saying about Shameless. I had a dog named Shameless <laughs> because of the Garth Brooks. Oh my gosh. Next, I, was, I wasn't expecting the podcast to start this way. <laughs> well, next week, we're just introing for next week when Garth will be over here. So yeah. Garth, if you're in the area and you want to stop by the Sound and Church HQ, yeah, we need to fact check some of this. So... I mean, we could use the internet, but we don't want to. Right. We could Google it, but you get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up. <laughs> I just take the butcher's word for it. That's got to be your bull. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> okay, so we have some questions that people have answered, uh, asked, right? Is that something that's... Yeah, thanks for steering us along there, Stuart. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're we're recording this, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, let, let's uh, let's start with my favorite question here. What type of product does Jonathan use to style his hair in the mornings? What in the world? I okay. No, I'll, I'll, you, I, I think I might know a few things, but I'll, you, you go ahead. You can keep this one brief. <laughs> if I mean, you want. Stuart, you're getting up on the mic. I'll go ahead and finish it. I just remember one time. I don't know exactly what products you use, but I remember one time at your house saying that you have to you have to blow dry it to solder it in place you gotta you gotta yeah. lock it down you gotta get it in you gotta <clears throat> yeah that's what i've noticed like with my hair if i add a little heat to it 
it'll style better. And so since I'm getting up and going to the gym and I'm getting out of the shower, like I just keep with that model, add a little heat, add a little texture. No big deal though. Yeah. It's something in a can, whatever would, product it is. I would agree because I do the same thing with my beard. Product, heat. What do you do with your hair? It does it. Um, I just shave that. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> there's not a lot left. <laughs> my style is I just wear a hat. <laughs> I like the hat too. thing too. <laughs> that also good. works. I like it. All right, let's move on from this topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's making me feel kind of metro. <laughs> Oh, that's not what this podcast I'm is not about. Feeling I really about. don't care what you put in your hair. Whatever, but whatever you said it was your you, favorite buddy. question, so I mean, you're just going off I of what you're saying. Kind of funny. Um, okay, so let's let's go with a more in depth, interesting question um, that actually has something to do with audio production. Um, is there such a thing? And this is a multiple, like tiered question. Is there such a thing as a natural ear for mixing? Can you train someone to have an ear for mixing? Hmm. How do you train someone to have an ear for mixing? And how do you train someone to specifically recognize what is missing or excessive in the mix? Well, to the training somebody to have an ear and training somebody to, to pick out stuff, I think there should be like, like I didn't have anybody train me on what to listen for. Like I just going back to listening to the CDs and the mixtape, I think part of the reason that I was so enthralled with music is because I was just trying to pick out those parts, not from a musician standpoint, but just like uncovering the way that like a sommelier would uncover flavors in a bottle of wine, right? By purifying their palate. So I was like a young child listening to music thinking, well, what's making that sound, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's years of just fascination and passion that goes into that. And so can I train somebody to do that? Like in a weekend? No, I don't think so. But I think you can help influence somebody and give somebody some information and a path to go on to say, man, if you're interested in developing your ear, there's a lot of tools it's like developing your muscles or your mind with school and reading books. Like it just takes time, you know, to identify certain frequencies, identify what you're listening for. But I think there needs to be a bit of a predisposed passion or interest to be able to let that develop, like planting a seed in fertile ground. You know, if somebody's rocky, I mean, you're probably not going to develop like a real cohesive audio passion, right? Or a real technical vibe with that. But, you know, I'm not saying people can't be trained, but it seems like there there needs to be something there to work with, some good raw material. Yeah, I would say for those, because, you know, we spend a lot of time in churches training volunteers. So you get a lot of people that don't have... Um, that childhood up, upbringing or, or any, really any experience, but they're the ones that have volunteered to run sound in their, in their church. Um, so I think the beginning, at least from what I can, what I can tell from the training we've done is, um, just understanding where to begin. Mm. So like what, what I like to say to people is try to mix downward first. So if you can't hear the lead singer, Instead of immediately trying to raise that fader, before you raise it, just listen and mm-hmm. see if, oh, that acoustic guitar does sound kind of hot. And then when you bring it down, it's like, oh my gosh, I can, not only can I hear the vocalist now, but I can now hear the snare drum and yeah. the kick drum and the other guitar player and the bass player. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, that acoustic guitar was really loud. Yes. Yeah, and it was mixing. Yeah. It was covering up That's some good. stuff. So that's, I mean, I start, that's just one little thing, but like I'll start there with people because it's a real easy concept. You don't have to learn, you don't have to know anything about compression mm-hmm. or gating or EQing or anything. Just, Hey, that acoustic guitar, it's a little hot. And guess what happens when you bring it down? You can hear other stuff, you know? So starting there yeah. and, and giving some people some something to work with. And then 
giving them the tools to develop it over time and and get to the point where they feel pretty comfortable making a mix. It's mm-hmm. good. I like it. Nice. <clears throat> Very I, nice. I did the same thing when I was a kid. I would listen to things, but now I, was, I played everything too. Like I wanted to play everything. I wanted to play drums. I wanted to play bass. I wanted to play guitar. And, um, and so I would pick out different things, especially snare drums. I would, mm. I would like to know like what type of material it was made out of. And same thing with guitars. I wanted to know like if it was a, if it was a Strat or a Tele or an SG or something. And I, yeah. you, I could get pretty good at like hearing stuff. And nowadays, like I'll listen to something like, Oh, that's a Strat. That's definitely a Strat on mm. the, on the bridge pickup, you know, sing, that's a right. single coil Strat on a bridge pickup. You know, and so it's just because when I was a kid, that's yeah, what I listened just conditioned for. Conditioned your ear to hear not only like the timbre, but the the sonic texture of those sounds, and that's the part that I'm referring to. Is like we can we can help people hear sounds, right? You know, but there's resolutions, there's depths of field to that sound, and so that's I that's where I like to be is uncovering the deeper resolution, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of ways that simply just bringing up a channel for guys that are in a church with a worship guy on an acoustic guitar or a piano, man, bring that channel up and add some EQ and just sweep that EQ. Like just practice it. Listen to what a filter sounds like with one octave cue cut about six DB and just sweep those frequencies up and down and you'll start to hear it swoosh in and out. Right. And then you can, develop your ear reminds me of the analog days where you had the two the the two knobs that worked together one was the cut and boost and the other one was the sweepable yeah and there was no graph to look at there was no rga it was boost it sweep through to find oh i that's the sound that sucks right there and and then bringing it down and and all of a sudden hey you're onto something right there because how many churches have analog consoles anymore Mm mm-hmm or how many uh, front of house interfaces are just knobs without a readout, you know? Right. So you're, you're in this like audio visual thing and it's become more visual because I can look over on that console. I can see the graph. I can see the cuts. I can see an RTA on a channel. I can pull up the RTA right now on your mic. You can see exactly what's going on, but it didn't used to be like that. No, I know. 300 is sticking up a little bit on your mic Oh, when you were talking and a little bit on the 1K. <clears throat> but see, on an analog console, on the old Midas or a PM4K Yamaha, like... You've got to be able to listen. You've got to know what you're hearing. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that kind of goes, you know, with, you know, what we were talking about last week with gear and, um, you know, what gear to use and, and how to use that gear and... Mm all of that kind of stuff. It's like, it comes down to practice. You know, the, the sound and church training and consultation, like training is just practicing. Yeah. Like I can show you how to do something, Mm -hmm. but until you take the initiative to go and do it on your own multiple times and try to improve on what it is that you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get any better at it. You know? So it's, it's really a matter of, of practicing something and being able to go, you know what? Like if I'm, trying to learn this I've got to take it upon myself to really dive in and dig in because I can't just learn it from listening to other people talk about it I've got to figure it out and do it yeah you know so that's that's interesting yeah and it makes sense like I gravitated toward this but like I was bad at basketball like bad I was six one same height I am now ninth grade my uncle was the coach and there was three cuts to make the team. I didn't last past the first cut. Like, it, I'm just not good. I, th- at that moment, I decided music. At that time, I was playing guitar a lot. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a musician. <laughs> but I guarantee you that if I had somebody training, like helping me, showing me what to do, and I worked really, really, really hard, I could probably be average, pretty, you know, pretty good. Like, not like I might not be amazing mm-hmm. at it, but like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure I could be a lot better than I am now enough to enjoy it and have a good time and, and, and start a sound and church basketball league or basketball team intramural. and and play intramural play other um, audio companies. <laughs> I'm down. 
Let's do this. <laughs> Maybe we should switch to baseball because we have a Dominican on our on our team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't very good at baseball either. <laughs> you guys could pick the sport. There you go. Well, I'm under 5'6", so I'm out <laughs> on basketball. It's just not going to happen. Hey, I'm 6'1", and it didn't matter. <laughs> well, there could be other shooting sports. It doesn't have to be basketball. True. True. Yeah. We could we could shoot guns. <laughs> Might be okay at that. Archery. Yeah. Archery. That'd be fun. <clears throat> I like it. Um, so I feel like this leads into our next question, which is EQing vocals with analog knobs, oh, which we just kind of yeah. touched on. Yeah. But let's really dive into it because that's it was two separate questions. So I think it's kind of funny that, you know, we've kind of naturally gone that way. I just want to know who has analog knobs and can we come over and EQ on those knobs? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, well, I remember, I mean, go ahead. You you go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say about this. I mean, I remember, I mean, that's what I knew was analog consoles. Like we've had to learn digital consoles in the past 10 years. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of things that are just as unique to the pro AV industry now, like digital consoles are, that it didn't used to be that way. Everything was, it was a copper snake, multi-pairs, big disconnects, you know, there were analog consoles that are eight feet wide that weighed 825 pounds, and you'd have to have a console party to flip these things over mm -hmm. and take the lid off. But And, and now you can't give them away. Man... <laughs> That's so sad. That's so sad. But yeah, I mean, you would have an analog console. You got a performer on stage and you're doing a line check, right? So you've got the same thing that you see on all of your digital consoles is laid out in a knob pretty much on analog desk. So you've got your high pass filter on a nice desk. That's going to be a sweepable high pass filter on a Crest HP 40 or a lot of consoles, it's going to be a fixed button, probably at 80 hertz, maybe 120. And then you have a four-band sweepable, if it's a good desk, parametric EQ on your EQ section. And a lot of times you'll have a concentric knob, a knob around a knob, that is your frequency. Then you'll have a gain knob that's in the center, that it'll be your boost or your cut, you know? But the layout is, I mean, the knob functionality is the same. I mean, they feel very different. Mm -hmm. An analog knob feels different than an X32 encoder, but the process is the same, right? You've identified that my vocal has too much 300 hertz, and that's identified because of the resonant frequencies that are in my voice that are inherent to this microphone, and that might be problematic in this space and so i think eqing with analog knobs or with digital encoders it all happens because you've identified a situation that you need to attenuate a certain frequency or groups of frequencies and so there's just it's an ear thing but you can't break it so just sweep it and cut it always cut first that's yeah I see some guys boosting first, and that just yeah. Does a it weird always phase. like well on the digital side, since we were talking about X thirty two. I always think of the um, um, over there the um, the mall, the uh, outlet malls. You know how you have the the little, oh, the little yeah. tents, you know, <laughs> everywhere, yeah, or yeah. the Denver International Airport. One of the two. Yeah, it's kind of a similar <laughs> and I, I, I see yeah. that those are not the EQ uh, that's patterns not that you patterns want that you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and one of the things that I've noticed in learning from, from you guys about mixing is like starting with a wider cue mm -hmm. and then isolating the frequency a little bit more where it needs to be isolated. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, there are a lot of times where you don't just want to cut a super specific frequency mm -mm. and pull it way out. Mm -mm. You want to like slowly get into it. and It sounds a little more, a little more natural. Right. When it's a little wider and maybe even a little less. Like mm -hmm. if you're if you're doing major cuts, it depends on what it is. You know, I mean, if it's a kick drum and there's all kinds of 200 hertz going on, then, you know, 
get a little crazy with it, shape it, and make it make it sound like a like it should, like make it sound like it does to your ear when you're standing right next to the kick drum. Right. But um, but yeah, when you start doing like real fine knife cuts, that's when things get real funky. <clears throat> and we could go into why. I don't know if we want to go into why. <laughs> yeah, we could. But well, before could. we get into it, let's just say also there's a lot of EQ or tonal shaping that could be done with mic placement. Mm-hmm. Right. And so kind of like our approach to the system optimization, which is basically in a nutshell, we just start from scratch. We zero out everything and start over because frankly, I just don't trust what anybody else has done. And I know that we can rebuild it mostly in less than a day. Yeah. Like we were at a church last week and the first thing I did was I just took all the drums out one by one and started tuning them because I knew that you got to have a, the right source. Absolutely. Like if you don't have the right source, then you're just, you're just playing around. Mm-hmm. Like you got, you got to get the toms to sound like a tom, snare to sound like a snare, kick to sound like a kick. Yeah. Start there, then mic it back up and gain it up and put it through the system and all that kind of stuff. But that's, and I, ha- I literally had this conversation last week with some, with some friends. It's like, we were talking about recording and the one, my friend has like a bunch of waves plugins and a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, well, I just, honestly, I, I use logic and I just use all the stock stuff because mm-hmm. I don't care. Just give me a couple different compressors and some reverbs and stuff and I'll get the source right. And I know how to use a compressor and reverb and all that stuff. And I guarantee you, I can make a good mix in logic, just using regular old stock uh, plugins. And it's the same with the PA, like on a stage or whatever, make, make the drums sound right. Make the bass sound right. The guitars, the vocals, get mm-hmm. everything. The source, once the source is right, you're really not having to do much no. at all. Yeah. There's, there's something that, um, there, there was a, a, a kind of a, a famous, um, engineer, like studio engineer that, that said, um, and it's kind of what you just said a minute ago. Like if you have a good source, then play with the knobs and see what sounds good because you can't break it. You can always turn it back to where it was. Mm-hmm. You could always put it back to flat and start over again. Mm-hmm. You, you really can't mess it up. Mm-hmm. So starting with a good source is like, it's everything. Um, which was also another question somebody asked is like asking about, you know, well, how do you set, you know, your, your gain stages and your, you know, how do you get, you know, make sure you have enough headroom and all of that kind of stuff. Like all these words that people throw around, but like really understanding, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to have the proper gain stage settings or what does it mean to have, um, you know, enough headroom on a channel to be able to like manipulate it enough to get what you want out of it without totally messing up your mix. So what do you guys think about that? Well, just like this bottle of water will not hold more than 16.9 fluid ounces. You're looking at a defined volume restriction. And every PA system is a defined volume restriction. There is a max voltage capacity to any PA system. And so if you think about your your max voltage and then you just start subtracting, right? I know that if I only have, let's just say a hundred of any particular given unit, and you've got to divide that all up amongst all of your participants. Sometimes those participants might be a single channel for all of the drum kit. Sometimes it might be eight (laughs) channels for a drum. And then all the keys, the guitars, like all of that stuff represents a voltage allocation. Right. And so <clears throat> there is a, a headroom to that, but there's also a max capacity to that. Right. And so there what we like to do is just create a unified state so that on the console, your faders at Unity are passing signal that are the same input signal that you're getting off the head amp. And so sometimes whenever we're talking about subtractive EQ and we're pulling down three or four bands of EQ on a channel that's going to adjust the amount of gain on that particular mm-hmm. channel, which is why we like to do subtractive EQing because we can make up for that gain and balance that with a balanced tonal shift 
right? That's what the EQ is doing is shifting the phase and balancing the tone. So now we've got those channels that have adequate tone, right? So certain frequencies that might be like 300 taken up space, right? That's voltage space in this microphone that we don't really need to occupy, Mm -hmm. especially if I have other instruments on stage, like a bass guitar or a kick drum that might live somewhere in there. Sure. And so I just think that there's a, if you think of an allocation table, like a pie chart or Mm -hmm. some sort that you've got different amounts of everything that's coming from the stage, every microphone, every source device has a electronic limitation to some extent. And so I mean, the, the consoles have a solo button that give you an input signal. They will, once you hit that solo button, it'll show you like a PFL, pre-fader listen. It'll also send it to your headphones. But that gives you a place to, to reference. And so if, you're, if we need numbers and, and DBU variances, let's set our gain to like minus 12, minus 16, somewhere in there, you know, using that PFL. Because we know that we don't want, that bass guitar to be close to zero because that's going to take up way too much space mm-hmm. in that predefined um, allocation. So we love to do this on site, hands on training, because there's so much that you could show with the fader position. How the gain structure being off, for example, like the gain being jacked up really super high, you go to move that fader. And you're blowing it out and it's at minus 40, mm-hmm. right? And those segments on the fader, right? If you look at the physical dimension, right? There might be 40 dB of resolution in like a quarter inch of travel. Mm-hmm. But then you move up to the unity and you have a whole inch of travel in the fader, but that's only 10 dB, right? Zero plus five, zero minus five. <clears throat> and so, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like the old digital cameras. Like they wouldn't mm-hmm. take pictures with a lot of information and so the information that you did capture had to be really good yeah yep so dynamic range mm-hmm. stuff like that right which is kind of a similar situ- situation it, it, it almost takes me back to like and you can still get this now so i remember having a cd player in my car that was plugged into the tape deck with like the little tape adapter right and if you turn up the volume on the CD player too much, it starts to clip out and it doesn't sound good. And if you try to crank it up on your stereo, it's like you're getting all this like fuzzy, like overdriven sound, you know, which is cool. If you're like using a guitar into an amp, like overdrive sounds cool. Hmm. doesn't sound super cool whenever you're talking about listening to like a full band and like music and like your, your main mix. And so you would turn your CD player down and then compensate by bringing the volume back up on your stereo. Same concept, right? You get the same thing now. We have Bluetooth going to our stereo. Turn the volume up on your phone too high, you're going to get a little bit of that clipping. Not as bad as it used to be with you know your CD player because you probably had some sort of output attenuator or something that was like boosting that signal. But um, you you still have that. So it's like just understanding that whenever you're dealing with more than one thing that's sending not line level, but like you're actually like getting some, some juice out of it. You're, you're going to have to pull that back before you can push it up and, and get a good, like that's a good analogy. Never really thought about it like that, but that's, that's a good analogy because we're always trying to figure out ways to explain things that can kind of get a little complicated um, to people that don't have any sound experience. Because again, it goes back to we're training volunteers in sound booths in churches that are all shapes and sizes. And that's a really good analogy because you could have a blown out mix from your CD player going into the tape deck right. and the volume be super low in your car. Cause you got your volume knob in your car turned almost off. Right but you've got your CD player turned all the way up. So you've got this nasty distorted sound at like, you know, a real, like a, like a level that we could be talking like this and it would just be in the background, you know, kind of quiet or the other way around. So that's a really good analogy. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm closer to 
I'm closer to the volunteer sound guys in terms of my experience level, right? And you guys are like the professionals, and I'm making my way in that direction. You know, just learning and experiencing and doing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it goes back to practice. Like the more you do it, the more you can start to hear things and pick stuff out and go, oh, well, you know, whenever I, whenever I first started mixing, I couldn't just listen to something and go, okay, well, that's uh, around this frequency. I needed to go and change it. I, I'd have to look for it. Mm-hmm. Now I can kind of hear it. I can mm-hmm. go, okay, well, I know that these things need to sit in this range mm-hmm. and I can go and, and get to them quicker. But a lot of your volunteer sound people are in that world where it's like, maybe all that they've really ever messed with is their car stereo. So for me, it always made sense being closer to that. And I'm like, well, what in my life is close to that? And I am a guitar player. So I have that like aspect of things that I understand, like, you know, gain structure and headroom and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff just from like guitar amps. But looking at it from from a standpoint of someone who doesn't have that experience like what would be the closest thing for me that i can use to to create an analogy for and that was kind of what i came mm-hmm. up with but um yeah so another question we had that i feel like what's really cool is like our our audience is really good about like all these questions are flowing together um the next question is what uh or how do you develop excellent teams that involve a lot of volunteers? How do you get excellence? Mm. How do you get people to want to practice their craft mm. whenever they are volunteers? Well, I think Jonathan's really good at that just here. I mean, we're the only ones that get to work with them every day. <laughs> um, but um, just creating an excitement and allowing he, he you you find things in us. And you're like, go do that. You know, like I'm really nerdy with my nerds rule (laughs) cup. And, uh, you know, and you're like, you know, why don't you explore that nerdiness, that IT automation kind of stuff. And then we just figure out a way to like incorporate it. And now it's like, oh, I can create easy buttons for people, you know, in these, Mm -hmm. these volunteer situations and stuff. So I think it's, I mean, I've never really been in a position where I'm like the tech director long-term building a team of volunteers in a church kind of thing. But um, I would assume that um, if you gave people the tools and you were excited and you showed them, you know, it's okay to do this, to, to try this, you know, why don't, let's, let's explore these things and creating a, an excitement and a buzz. Like that's, that's how you would build something like that. What do you think? You're the one that uh, has a lot to say on this topic. (laughs) I mean, that's building a team is something that like I constantly think about every day because that's what we're doing. We're not building the team necessarily in numbers. And I think that's a common misconception by a lot of the church people. It has to do with numbers. It has to do with quantity and size and real estate and things like that, which are not really kingdom minded, Mm -hmm. right? But whenever it comes to a team, like regardless of the number of people, like this could, let's say that this was the entire Sound and Church team, just the three of us here. It's not, thankfully, but I would be required to find something that, Josh, you do differently than Stuart does. And conversely, I've got to find something that Stuart does really well that you don't do very well. That way, we can maximize our output. So if I'm going to be plugging away, doing quotes, working on sales, I can't be organizing the shop or terminating all the racks. Now, here's the benefit. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything that I haven't personally done myself at some point. So all of these things that maybe aren't the glorious part of our job's description, they're all necessary and they're all inherent. So even in these things, being in an attic, being underneath the stage covered Mm -hmm. in spiders or claustrophobia setting in, like you just have to do it. And I think when there is a leader or a director of of a facility that can 
showcase that sort of mindset that they're not just calling the shots, but most generals came up through the rank by being a fighter on the front line and being in the trenches and getting dirty. And so uh, my, my thing is like, you just can't be a leader that's constantly clean, whose hands are never dirty. Mm. You've got to get in there and get dirty yourself and lead by example and do it with a good attitude because that, that kind of fire is contagious. When somebody realizes that like, Hey, we're going to go do something and it's not the sexiest thing that we're going to do this week, but it's something that has to be done and you do it with vigor, then you just get it done. And it's just part of the thing, but it's got to come from the top down because so much of what happens in the church comes from the directive of man, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, not the directive of God all the time, but in the areas of growing our team, in the areas of developing certain production elements, I mean, it's just, it's a lead by example mentality, you know, and I think that's, if you have experience leading a particular thing by something that you've done before, it can also be daunting because I've asked you to do things that I've never done before and you figure it out. Yeah. And that's an exciting part of literally where we are at right now is that we're being in a situation, an opportunity where we're pushing into untapped areas of our own inward potential Mm -hmm. that you will get to once you've been doing the work, once you've committed to that process, you'll start to have breakthroughs and little epiphanies will just hit you. And it's like, I could not have experienced this had I not trusted the process Mm -hmm. and given everything that I had to go into something. If you go into something thinking that you have to know all of it, it's never going to happen. How many times do we talk about just, (laughs) you mentioned it earlier. We just will do it. We'll commit to something and then we'll work out the minutia. Like the details are no reason to not commit. Mm -hmm. Just get it going. Yeah. Just buy a 36,000 square foot shop. (laughs) (laughs) Just go for it. Just go. That's me, man. Let's just go after it. Well, I kind of want to back up and talk about that a little bit more because you were talking about like, how to create, you know, a a culture that that celebrates excellence. And your approach is to, like, I'm not going to ask people to do things that I've never done. I'm not going to ask them to go somewhere that I've never gone, which is just kind of what a leader is. Like, you can't take someone somewhere that that you've never been. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I'm trying to give somebody directions to you know something downtown in Oklahoma City, but I've never been there, I might know like vaguely where it is but i can't tell you like exactly how to get there now if i go and figure out how to get there first and then i come back and i'm like hey i've been there let's go i can take you there but i couldn't do that if i had not gone there myself before so my question is what kind of culture do you think it creates when you have someone in any position as a leader trying to take people places that they've never been been before and have no idea how to get there they have no roadmap they Mm. have no like idea like what it is that they're doing they're just like you know this sounds like a good idea and then they're taking a bunch of people with them just on a whim what what happens in that situation well that's that's really exciting because i think about the simple version of that which is the simple version is you know the church Right. If you've got somebody that's now a tech director and they're assigned this staff and they have people that are under them, hopefully that tech director has some sort of experience in doing some sort of production. And generally they do. The there doesn't necessarily have to be a roadmap saying that you've been down that path before, but that definitely helps getting your team to start knowing what it's like to move around and to travel. But at some point, you're going to have to identify where do you want to go. Like now that we're all caravanning and we're all traveling together, we've got our rucksacks on, we're sherping our way up the mountain. But what if you find that your calling is to do something much greater? Like I'm thinking about going to Mars, you know, and 
Jeff Bezos didn't have like a roadmap for the growth of Amazon. It just kind of happens, you know? And so there's, I think there's two sides of that, you know, where you've got to have a, just a fear, fearless approach to the unknown and others will have a very fear, fearful mind paralyzing approach to what is the unknown. And if you're the latter, I, I mean, I don't know how to get out of that because I don't, I can't personally attest to that. I just have a different former mentality that is like, let's go, yeah. let's just do it. You know, cause if I don't know how to do it, then that means I'm a going to learn something new that day. B if I fail at that, then I've also learned something new. So either way, I'm guaranteed to learn. The flip side of that, if I learn and it goes right, that's a major gain just for self. Yeah, I agree. That does go back to our conversation before we started the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, you just sometimes you just have to take risks. You just have to, you know, have a vision or a plan or an idea and then be like, well, let's just do it. Let's just go for it. And that's what I, that's one reason. I mean, one of many reasons why I like being here because <laughs> sometimes we just are like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's see what, you know, let's see what happens. Let's, there's let's... never going to be just one person jumping out of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's do this and then it'll, you know, let's build it and they will come. That's good. I like that approach. I, cause I think about the, you know, can't go where you've never been kind of a thing. And I used to believe that, but now I'm kind of feeling more like what you were saying is like, why not? Why can't I go where I've never been? Who's to say I can't go where I've never mm-hmm. been? It's where we're supposed to go. Right. Why would I keep going everywhere? I've only like only places that I've been. That does not promote growth whatsoever. Hmm. So maybe in order to grow, you do have to go places where you've never been. So, and it could be big or small. Like yeah. we built a video suite and we're like, let's start a podcast. Right. You know, this is podcast number two. I don't know how many people are going to be watching it, but you got to start somewhere. And, you know, to be honest, like we, we launched the podcast last week and I've gotten all kinds of positive feedback. I've had people, tech directors from, you know, not in the Oklahoma city area texting me saying, I love it. I think it's awesome. And, um, and that's just one podcast. So this is two. So you got to start somewhere. You got to, you got to go, you got to do it. You got to take pictures for social media. Exactly. You got to, <laughs> I'm just trying to multitask. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I it was off camera. It, it was, was off, off camera. camera that's sure. why I said, but so. now everyone knows about it that I yep. was taking a photo while yep. you were talking. We just blasted. <laughs> I love the questions. I love that this stuff comes from people that care about their church, right. you know, care about their ministry. And so they're thinking about things proactively. And that's, that's what it takes to sustain this kind of thing. I mean, it's just like with a projector, you got to clean the filter on a projector. Otherwise the thing's going to overheat and mm-hmm. the bulb's going to blow right. up. And then you call us out in church and we'll come down and fix it, fix it all up. <laughs> yeah. But it's just maintenance, you know, it's right. maintenance for your mind. It's maintenance for the people, the team, you know, and if you're just constantly going, hey, we need to be a little more proactive in this. And there's going to be, I think, a a trust builder. Like if if you and I just met and we hadn't spent all of those miles behind the windshield in a Tundra with just a ladder doing installs. Driving to Claremore to tune some RF. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That was day one. (laughs) If we didn't have that trust, right? That history, right? Which is, I think is the thing that you're trying, you're looking for with a tech team is if you're, if you're fortunate because not a lot of churches have like a team, there's a few people, Mm -hmm. honestly, like in churches that we work with that are just volunteers. And so if you have a team, large or small, I think the first thing that you need to do is work on building trust with those people show those people that like you care about them as a person and you care about their soul more so than what they benefit your ministry, what they bring to the table. And I think whenever that is 
the thing that's at play, all the other stuff just works its works itself out. Right. You know? I want to say something about the churches that have like one person or two people and they're small and they don't really have a team. But they'd like to have a team. They'd like to have somebody do the lyrics. They'd like to have somebody run sound. Maybe somebody watch the live stream and stuff. The thing is, you don't need to be in the audio production world. In fact, some of the best people that you can have are people like what we talked. What I talked about on the podcast last week was you're a waiter serving a table of you know eight or whatever. Maybe you probably have somebody in your church who is literally like a waiter, waitress, whatever, like somebody that knows how to serve. Mm-hmm. They probably will be a really good sound person for your church because they already have, they've already established how to serve people. All they got to do now is just learn how to the console and, you know, and do what we talked about earlier, you know, developing your ear. Right. And, and I, I, I bet you anything if you're in that scenario, I bet you it's easier to at least get to a point where you understand how sound works than it would be to understand how serving works. Yeah, because so, the server doesn't know how to make the perfect risotto. No. The server just brings the risotto from the hot window to your table. And as long as you're doing that with efficiency, right, as soon as it's up, order up, let's go, take it out. And you're m- making your your clients feel good. You're making your customer feel like you're on top of it. And that's, that's the thing is the attentiveness. And some of the folks that we've encountered, it's just a one or two person tech team. These are the most attentive people, Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes like if you have multiple teams or multiple people on your team, what ends up happening is the sound guys over here looking on his phone, doing this thing, you know, or the pro presenter guy is like, on a video game. Mm-hmm. So just because there's a few people doesn't mean that your production has to suffer. I mean, you could have one person running it all and that person being super attentive be a great service. Yeah. Yeah. So think outside the box. If you're a small church that has one person running sound or taking care of everything, mm-hmm. maybe think outside the box and, and, and start talking to some people, grab a people person, somebody that's that, that you know that that's always shaking your hand at church. Talk to them because I guarantee you they would interact with the with the worship team really well. And then from there, it's just a matter of learning how to run sound or that's do it. lyrics or, or whatever. So that's the thing. Start there. One thing, the other thing I want to say is within our Sound and Church team that we have, we've got it's very diverse, very very diverse, and um, we've all kind of figured out our spot. And so the analogy I've, I like to use is like, if it's like a, like a, let's say you've got a, you've got a speaker on a sub and you've got a high frequency driver, mid frequency and sub. Well, our guy that terminates all the cables and makes everything look, all the stuff you see, all the cables that are dressed perfectly. Mm -hmm. He's like a high frequency driver. He brings the clarity without him. It's just a mid range and a sub. The mid-range might be the guy who, you know, rigs the speakers in the air. He understands the rigging and how to professionally hang a speaker where it will never fall. Even if there's, well, maybe if a tornado came through. <laughs> but I was going to say if a tornado came through, but anyway. Well, and it's then, still going to be attached to the beam. It's just going to be the beam. The, the beam's going to be, yeah. on the building. And then the sub might be the guy that looks at the whole picture that can kind of see the big thing and, and go, okay, we got to get cables from here to over here or whatever, or, or that person could be a full range box and kind of do it all kind of thing. And we've got those guys in place. And that's why when we go do a job, it looks awesome. It's done professionally. It's done in a timely manner. Well, you can have those things on your tech team too. Like if there's a person who's really good with lights, but you have him over, or he, he, he naturally kind of gravitates toward lights, but he's never done lights because you have him over here running slides or running sound or whatever. So maybe kind of step back and look at what you have already and see if shifting some things or whatever puts people in their appropriate spot. Because if our guy who terminates almost everything and dresses all the cables was doing something completely different, 
it might not go as well as the guy who looks, you know, who rigs is over here terminating cables. I mean, we can all, we all do it, yeah. but we all do our areas really, really well. And when we're all in our areas doing our thing, that's when things really come together. So mm-hmm. maybe look at those two things as a, as a, um, as a tech team trying to build or maintain a team, look outside the box, find people that may not know anything about sound. And then also look at what those people gravitate toward. That's good. So I have one more question just to kind of add to everything that we've been talking about is kind of a question, kind of just a statement that we can elaborate on. Um, I feel like it's dangerous to approach anything. And and right now let's just kind of condense it down to like sound. But whenever you're going into something, we talked about this earlier. One, it's dangerous to feel like you know everything. And go into it with this attitude of like, no, I got this. I know everything and there's nothing that I can learn. But two, going into it and not thinking for yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. Going into, into you know, mixing or any kind of production or anything and just like, okay, well, somebody taught me that whenever I hit this button, this happens. And whenever I push this fader, this happens. I don't know why and I don't care why and I don't need to know why. I'm just going to do it and... And that's it. But then what happens if something outside of the norm pops up? You don't really know where to go because all you know is what you've been told is to push this button or move this fader. But, you know, not thinking for yourself can get you in a position that's just really, really dangerous. Um, and, and then you can't manage your, your area of responsibility because you've never questioned why. You've never questioned like, well, why do I do this? Or why do I do that? Or what makes this happen? Or what makes this work? And knowing the why behind it for me personally, and maybe it's just my personality type or something, but knowing the why behind things helps me understand how to do it better. So do you feel the same way or do you have a different approach to that? Oh, I concur, Josh. I definitely feel that you are a (laughs) guy that needs to know the why. I need to know why. You're, You're a why guy. Yeah. And, you know, I think the most intrinsic thing that is a parallel for me is that, like, I'm a why guy too, right? I'm I'm a why guy because if that speaker's not making sound, I want to know why. And if that microphone's not making sound, I want to know why. If it's making great sound, I also want to know why. And so you have to just, you have to ask that question. Why? Why this button? Why this knob? Why this fader? And that's what I tell people a lot of times, like when they ask, like, hey, what, what makes a great sound guy, like, or a great production person? Knowing what all of the knobs do is beneficial. It doesn't make you a great sound person because we've had conversations, have we not, with people who insinuate that they know every single function inherently down to the motherboard processing capabilities of a digital board. Friends, it doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you know every functional aspect of the component level equipment, right? What matters is that you know how to assimilate all of those things into an executable task. Meaning, if something isn't working, why isn't it working? So it's a division of the problem, right? This is how we teach people to troubleshoot, is cut the problem in half, right? If you can cut the problem in half, then it greatly increases your chances of finding a solution because you're not looking at the whole picture anymore, right? So an example of this would, let's take a microphone. Say that this microphone isn't working. Well, is it plugged in? If it is plugged in, What's it plugged in to? What's it plugged in with? Maybe it's this cable. Maybe it's the microphone. But we go over a lot of things that you can try in order to dissect the problem, right? And I think that's, you know, sound troubleshooting is a lot like life. You know, if this isn't working, if I'm not making enough money to pay my bills, then maybe I'm not making enough money or maybe I'm spending too much money right? It's, there's not just one solution. 
usually, right? right? It's a combination of solution. And so I think that's where the intuitiveness of going beyond the button and thinking about the, the problem, the solution. Right. Um, we talk a lot about like zooming out, looking at it from 30,000 feet. I mean, a lot of times I've been there, you know, you're dealing with a high pressure situation. You know, you've got a festival and you've got 56 channels on stage that you've got to patch in like four minutes. And then you have to line check the band before they get up there and play for 10,000 people. And so there, you got to break things down real quick. And I always loved those scenarios because it was a time that challenged me. You know, it was challenged me to look into how can I store large amounts of data in my head, like memorize a stage patch, which is just a bunch of numbers and right. a bunch of unlabeled cables usually. And you have to think about it in a piece that you can put into one box and another piece that you put into another box, but then you got to bring all that stuff back together. And so just knowing what everything does and how it all functions, that's great. But I like to teach signal flow. Yeah. Right. Signal flow is the path that this microphone takes for it to get to your ears, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a few things that are involved with that. But if we learn signal flow, then we could learn troubleshooting. And if we learn troubleshooting, we're a great AV tech for a church. That's my opinion. I don't think that you have to be some hot rod gunslinger to be able to be a great sound guy at a church. But you say we were the gunslingers last week. Yeah, we are the gunslingers. <laughs> yeah, you, we're sighted. You're in. the hot rod gunslingers, but it all starts with knowing signal flow and like knowing how to yeah. troubleshoot something. Because like one of the the number one things that I've seen in the churches that we've been in, whether we've already done something for them or whether we're talking about going and doing something for them is just a, a and, and and this isn't like a commentary on like you know their inability to do things but the biggest problem that i see is that they don't know how to troubleshoot what they have and it it goes back to that like teaching a man to fish hmm. you know like you want to teach him how to do this you don't just want to go and do it for him over and over and over again which as a business model like you could probably make a lot of money, you know, doing things over and over and over for people and being the guy that like, well, I know how to do this and I'm not going to give you my secrets on how to do this. Watch to the end of the video. I'm just going <laughs> to write the, the that whole thing. It's like I'm, I'm going to just keep doing this for you over and over again. And if you keep doing that, you're never going to like they're never going to learn anything. They're never going to be able to do it for themselves. And your goal that I've seen in all of these churches that, that you've been in is to teach them how to do it for themselves, how to go fishing for themselves. It's like, you can't be there every week. You can't right. be in every church every week. Right. So teaching them how to do it is beneficial for you because that's going to build trust. That's mm -hmm. going to have them coming back to you for the bigger things. Whenever you teach them how to handle the day to day stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, we talked about like the previous production life, but man, I came up in an era where there were, there were lots of dudes like old road dogs that y you didn't get any of their tricks. You were just, you were lucky to be around them, you know? So if you could observe and just pick up a few things, cause they're not going to tell you what they're doing, right? They're not going to explain to you what they're doing to get a particular sound on John Bon Jovi's voice. He's just going to do it. And if I happen to pick up on it because I'm there, good for me. But if I don't pick up on anything and you're there in the presence of greatness, that's on you. And that's a, that's a thing that I think we could all kind of close out with is that, man, there's, there's greatness all around us. But are we in a humble position to acknowledge or to accept the fact that somebody somebody's here with a lot of insight, with a lot of knowledge and a heart to actually tell us what they've learned right. in 20 plus years of doing this. But you know, sometimes we get to churches and the whole worship team doesn't even show up. And the singers don't show up, right? And the purpose is for a comprehensive system overview and optimization so 
I'm befuddled about that because it seems like there's a, we're trying to say, hey, we want to build a relationship. We want to show you the things that so many people held on to and just refused to show us. But we've got this experience, this expertise, and this vision to spread around all the information of which we've garnered over the years. And so, I mean, that's my goal. But again, like you said, you can't teach a man to fish if the man doesn't want to fish. That's very true. And if the man doesn't have his own fishing pole Mm. or care to bait his hook, then it's hard. And I don't care to show that man how to fish. You're right. But if that man wants to meet me at the river, we'll drop a line. Yeah, meet me at 5 a.m. We'll rip some lip. Let's do this. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Sound and Church podcast, episode two. This has been great. Thanks for the questions again. Um, if you have any questions that you want to like ask us, um, feel free to reach out over direct message on social media. You could go to soundandchurch.com. We have a contact form there. Um, probably not going to get that one answered on the podcast as quickly. The, the best way to, to do this is because... I'm the one doing this, running the social media and answering, you know, a lot of this stuff. I'm going to see that first and be able to put it on the podcast. So that's probably the best way to do it, whether comments on photos or videos or our YouTube channel or whatever it may be. Um, Let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know what you want to learn about. Um, What kind of fish do you want to land? And uh, we'll see if we can answer your questions for you and, and let you in on some of the trade secrets that... Jonathan and Stuart have learned over many, many years of doing this type of work. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Next time we'll learn what Josh is, Josh uses in his beard. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs>